nice to see all of you today. I uh, hope your morning is going well, and I will repeat uh, Mike's welcome. If you're visiting with us, we're especially pleased that you're here and uh, grateful for your presence. Um, if you have not had a chance to pick up a bulletin, please do so on your way out. There are a number of uh, announcements that we want to bring to your attention. Um, and so let me just kind of hit the highlights uh, this afternoon, there is a picnic for immediately after services for the third through fifth grade classes. And so if your child is one of those groups or you would simply like to share, just about anyone is always welcome. Uh, just bring some food, uh, put it on the table and let the kids and the adults kind of share uh, some time together. Also, this Thursday at Debbie Schweppes home, uh, the address is in the bulletin. At, uh, on Thursday morning, there'll be another work day for the Days for Girls project, and you can see some more details about that in the bulletin. And then, as we currently have our schedule on the 21st of this month, we will have our annual barbecue, uh, which will be out back. Uh, but as you should know, this event, as well as many others that uh, involve large groups of people, are all kind of contingent on this whole uh, coronavirus thing, okay? Now, um, we are not uh, going to buy into the panic that we see in the world around us. Uh, uh, we don't want to be alarmist, but at the same time, we do recognize that it is a potential threat, especially to some of our older members, and so we want to be sensitive and responsible with those uh, concerns. So, I'm going to tell you something that your mama has been told, telling you all your life, which is, wash your hands. For how long? 20 seconds. You know how long 20 seconds is? Long enough for you to sing happy birthday once, twice, double time if you sing it real fast. You know, it's not like you turn the water on, run it through, and then you're good. No, it's just rubbing and scrubbing and doing all that you need to. So, please... You know, uh, I was talking to Catherine this morning on the new or on I forget where it was, probably Facebook, uh, where someone was saying, so how come there's no soap in the stores, no hand soap? Have people not been washing their hands for the last 200 years? I mean, you know, this is not rocket science and it's not new. But please, uh, we have filled all of the hand sanitizer stations throughout the building. Uh, uh, on Friday afternoon, all of the doorknobs are sanitized to prepare for Sunday, and that has been going on. That's not anything new, but please uh, take advantage of those things. Uh, secondly, don't be offended if someone doesn't want to shake your hand. Just understand that people are concerned. Uh, you Smiling will not infect anybody with anything other than happiness and joy, so please be generous with your smiles. And, uh, and, and you can go with a fist bump, you can go with an elbow bump. I'm not a real fond, uh, a proponent of the, f the foot bump because my feet are really, my legs are very, um, sensitive. And so if anybody comes to, to kick me, uh, they might get hit with my cane. Um, I'm just, 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 you know, full disclosure here. Um, we also, for a season, for this season, we're going to stop our meet and greet. Uh, that is a time where we generally force the greeting on one another, and uh, and so we want to avoid that just in the the uh, the event to, to to make everyone feel comfortable. There's plenty of time for you to greet afterwards or before. Um, also, we are making some preparations to make some transitions with our communion, especially with the bread. 
Um, we have the orders in. It was supposed to come in uh, last week, but it didn't. But we will be moving to individual uh, communion bread pieces that are already broken. And so that way you don't have to touch the whole cracker sometimes with both hands uh, to break off a piece. And uh, you'll be able to just choose that. And we will probably stay with that uh, uh, permanently. Uh, we also have a stockpile of the all-in-one communion servings at whatever point we deem that that's necessary. We'll be able to utilize those. And then lastly, if you do have fever or are not feeling well, please, for the sake of, again, many of us younger people. <laughs> that's how I, in my head, I'm still a young person. Uh, many of us younger people uh, uh, will probably recover fine, but this is especially dangerous for some of our older members and those that have compromised respiratory systems. And so uh, uh, out of due diligence and love for them, uh, if you do feel feverish, uh, please stay home, um, uh, and uh, and we will definitely pray for you. I already received texts this morning of individuals that chose to stay home because they weren't feeling well, and uh, so we'll be praying for, for them at all times. So we, we don't want to panic, but at the same time, we want to be informed and we want to be responsible with, with what's happening. This will probably be going on for a, a number of months. So what would you say is the most memorized scripture in the Bible. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> I, I would bet you, I, how many know this verse by memory? Kids, any of you guys know John 3.16 by memory? All right, let's try it. You guys help me out. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, But have everlasting life. Okay, let's try that again with the words on the screen, okay? Uh, uh, and, and kids, you, you, can, you can help us out here, so let's try it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, part of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the I don't want to say mumbling, but just the, uh, uh, the variety of translations kind of affect our ability to uh, memorize in unison, and so sometimes it'll be only begotten son, sometimes it'll be eternal or everlasting life, and so there's different uh, words that translations use, and so, uh, uh, but it is hands down the most cited biblical verse in Christendom going back to the 16th century. Okay, uh, This verse shows the greatness of God's love. Scripture tells us God is love, but this verse takes it a step further, deeper, higher, wider, longer, because it tells us how much God is love. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, as he prays for the Ephesian congregation, says, I pray that you, the congregation, members, Christians, being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And if you think about it, those four dimensions are reflected in this verse. How wide is God's love? How broad is God's love? It goes to everyone in the whole entire 
world, not only in our present day, but even going all the way back to the beginning of recorded history. To what length does God show his love? He goes to the length that he gives his only one and only son. What depth was God willing to go? He was willing to go as far down as those who are perishing. Those of us on this earth, he was willing to come this far down to find us. And then how high is God willing to go? He's willing to go so high that he takes us with him into his presence to have eternal life. And so John 3.16 really truly is the verse, if you were to try and summarize the entire verse in uh, the Bible in one verse, uh, is an extremely important verse. Now, the other thing is that even though this verse is so important, uh, this verse doesn't kind of sit us set apart as a standalone independent verse. It comes as part of a narrative. It comes as part of a story. In fact, this verse, John 3.16, is the answer to some questions that were put to Jesus by an individual. And so the the first question was, how many of you know this verse by memory? But that's not the question the, the text is going to ask. So we're going to read the text, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. You can start looking for it in your Bible or on your device. It's going to be on the screen in just a second. And so I've marked the questions that John 3.16 answers in yellow when we get to them. This is a conversation Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jewish ruler, and um, and, and we'll read about him beginning in John chapter 3, verse 1. The text says, Now there was a man, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. If you'll you'll pardon me, uh, this was the first Nick at night that we have. So Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. This was simply an opening word of praise and admiration for Jesus. Now, how would you respond if someone says something like that to you? You know, you might deflect it. You might respond, well, uh, 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 I'm glad that you see that I've come from God. Or you might just admit and affirm the declaration. Look what Jesus does. Jesus replied, Verily, verily, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What? What are you talking about? Now, we've grown up with this phrase. This is a very common phrase in our language. Jimmy Carter uh, 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 openly admitted and proclaimed that he was a born-again Christian. The word or the phrase has lost a lot of its importance when you have people like Larry Flint, the publisher of Hustler magazine, also stating that he was born again. But it's a common phrase that we kind of have in our minds. But remember, this is the first time anyone in all of history had ever heard this phrase of being born again. This wasn't a Jewish thought. This wasn't common in in ancient times. 
This isn't something that Jesus just adopted. He invented this phrase, and it seems to come out of nowhere. And we can tell how puzzled Nicodemus is by his response. Wait, 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 wait a minute. How can someone be born when they are already old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I have no clue what you are saying. What are you talking about? You can't be born again. You're born and you're here or you're not and you're not. (laughs) And so Nicodemus expresses his confusion. Jesus says, verily, verily, I tell you, no one repeats this phrase. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless and now he gives a little bit more specification Unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And by this, we understand that Jesus was talking about baptism. That moment when we die to ourselves and we are reborn in Jesus Christ with the gift of the spirit and we begin a new life. We understand that 2000 years later, Nicodemus didn't have that benefit. And so Jesus continues and says, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again, Nicodemus. (laughs) The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Says Nicodemus, you can hear his frustration. Just talk to me. Tell me what it is you're thinking. But then Jesus kind of doubles down and says, wait, 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 you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. If you're one of the guys on the inside and you don't get it, how is anybody else going to get it? And then Jesus continues, verily, verily, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but still you people referring to the Jews do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. And now we get to verse 16. For... God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, I think Nicodemus represents a lot of people today, maybe you or me. Relatively successful, articulate Educated, confident, a leader in his community, focused on trying to do what is right. He's open and curious, but he's cautious. He's cautious about this new rabbi, this new teacher. He's not ready to discard Jesus outright but he's not ready to embrace him publicly, so he goes to him at night. No one else knows he's there. 
He's almost wanting to keep his faith secret, literally keep his faith in the dark. And yet there was something about Jesus that drew his attention. There was something about Jesus that he needed to find more. And so when Jesus states that Nicodemus has to be born again, it really throws him for a loop. I mean, what does that even mean? How can you be born again? This invitation to rebirth doesn't make sense. No one can literally be born again. It's impossible. It cannot happen. You know, there's a lot of things in life that don't seem possible until you're living it. We get married, and very few of us imagine that our marriage is going to end up one day in a bitter divorce. And yet, many marriages do. We have children, and we can't imagine that we would lose one of them, either physically or spiritually or emotionally, relationally, but tragically, it, it, it happens. Few of us can imagine sitting across a doctor's desk and hearing those horrific words. It's cancer. But it happens with increasing frequency in the world that we live in. And I think at the root or at the core of all of us, we're basically optimistic people. We think we can overcome these things. We think that surely that's not going to happen to me. It might happen to those people. But I think we have the confidence to believe that we can overcome. I mean, after all, we're smart, resourceful, educated, relatively good looking. We've managed to avoid a lot of potholes in life. And we're confident we can keep on dodging them. But when the impossible happens and we find ourselves in a situation that is beyond our ability to understand. One of the first thoughts that enters into our mind is. Why is God doing this to me? Where is God? Is he on my side or is he against me? And this is especially true if the situation we find ourselves in is a result of our own sin. If I've messed up and I feel like I am responsible, I find myself in this very challenging and difficult situation. Can I ever come back from this? Is there any way out? Let's say I, because of my lack of fidelity and faithfulness, caused a divorce. Or, or let's say I've caused my own sin or someone else's by neglect. Maybe it was carelessness. Maybe it was a lack of self-control. And so Nicodemus is, is expressing a concern that while he wasn't living it, it's the same concern many of us have. How does this even work? I'm not convinced that God is on my side. You see, I think a lot of us feel like Nicodemus that once you go down a road, <laughs> there's no coming back. Kids, you might remember this uh, 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 
nursery rhyme about Humpty Dumpty. Anybody remember Humpty Dumpty? Yeah, you remember that? You can say it with me if you want, or you can just, you know, listen in. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Now, there's a whole backstory behind this, political and otherwise, and I'm not going to get into that. I just wanted to focus on this one point. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And we often find ourselves in a situation where neither can we. There's no way we can put it back. There's no way we can make it forward. There's no way God is on my side once I'm broken and once I'm down that road. But what Jesus wants to affirm to Nicodemus and to us, what all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't do, God can do. Because God can do what is even impossible for humans. God can give new life after death. God can give a fresh start after a dismal ending. And as hard as it might be to believe in the moment, the reason we can trust God and know this is true is John 3.16. Now this statement is surprising on two counts. One, because... Again, this is another statement that is beyond Jewish expectations, the first century. Faithful Jews in the first century would never have thought about God loving the whole world. And sometimes I think we struggle with that. I think in our minds, when we read this verse or we quote it, we're thinking, for God so loved the church. Because we're worthy of being loved. We're the good ones. We're the ones that are on God's side, and so God owes us, and he ought to be on our side. But that's not what the scripture says. For God so loved who? The world. And then that leads us to the second thing that is surprising. See, there's a verse in the Bible that says, don't love the world. And now we see God loving the world. And so it seems like, wait a second, if the world is bad, why does God love it? And then if we want to be like God, shouldn't we love the world? And and then we just go around and around and around. Well, there's not a contradiction. But I think there is a difference and it's a huge one. God does love the world. And we are not to love the world because we have a way when we love, we have to get involved personally. And when we love the world, we get stuck and we get trapped because we can't keep ourselves separate. God can love the world and still remain pure. We love the world and we end up just next to the world. God can love the world without danger. We, when we love the world, do so at our own loss and destruction. Right before John 3.16, we see from verses 14 and following this whole thing about the snake lifted up in the desert. It's a reference to back in, um, in the wilderness. The Israelites were grumbling against Moses. They were being punished by poisonous snakes inviting, uh, invading the camp. 
And God gave Moses the remedy to make a serpent out of bronze, put it on a stick and hold it up high so people could see it. And anyone who looked at the serpent, the bronze serpent on the pole, would live. I think the point of that whole incident is to say, if you're bitten, you don't have to be condemned. You don't have to let the snake kill you. God's action in the crucifixion has given us a way to be bitten by sin and yet still live. And so at its core, God so loved the world tells us that he's on our side. He's fighting with us and for us. He didn't send a messenger. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a lowly heavenly peon to do his work. He himself came to earth to join with our humanity to suffer, to be crucified, and then to be raised so that he could draw all of humanity to himself. There's an Arabian tale It talks about a man who was riding his donkey down a dusty path. And as he approached an object, he looked closer and it was a little sparrow. And so he got off of his donkey and the sparrow was on its back with its scrawny little legs pointing up. At first, the man thought that the sparrow was dead. But as he got closer, it turns out the sparrow was alive. So the young man asked the sparrow if he was all right. The sparrow replied, yes. And so the Arab man asked, what are you doing lying on your back with your legs pointed to the sky? And the sparrow responded, well, maybe you haven't heard, but the sky is falling. And he was holding up the sky with his legs. The Arab replied, surely you don't think you are going to hold up the sky with those two scrawny legs, do you? The sparrow looked at him deep and long and said, one does the best one can. (laughs) And no matter how many times we try, we can't save ourselves. No matter how hard we try, we can't do it. It is impossible, as impossible as an adult going back into his mom's tummy and being born again. And that's the point that Jesus is making to Nicodemus. Your sin, our sin, my sin has broken me into so many pieces that not even the king's horses and the king's men can put me back together again. But Jesus can. And he shows how much he's willing to do so by affirming and showing how wide and how long and how deep and how high the love of God is for us. The first step is for us to become true to our condition. The word 
Confess in Greek means to say the same thing. And so when we confess our sin, we're saying the same thing as what? We're saying the same thing as God. God knows who we are. God knows what we've done. God knows where we've been. And when we confess to God, we're not giving him a news flash. We're admitting to him what he already knows. And he says, I've been waiting for you. I'm so glad you're here. Now we can get to work. Admit our helplessness and our hopelessness. Confess our sin. Recognize the need to be born again, to be baptized, to begin our new life. And then once we've done that, as most of us here have, don't keep pointing back to our baptism like it's the magic all in all. You know, we all have birth certificates, or most of us do. I don't think I have one, but most of us do. But you don't frame your birth certificate and stick it up in your living room and every time someone comes to visit, hey, look at this, I was born. You see this right here? This proves I was born. No. N.T. Wright says, that's foolishness because you're already here. We know you've been born, obviously. But rather, what is to show the health of our relationship and our life is, how are we living? And I don't need a certificate to say, I'm doing good. I'm serving other people. I'm loving God. I'm a blessing in the lives of my family and the people around So once we make that determination and that decision and we admit and we submit ourselves to the Lord, then we begin to live and we begin to live in ways that bring him honor and glory. It's possible that you might need to make a confession today. You might need to ask for prayers for a particular situation. You might need to be baptized and you've gotten to the point where you're ready to do so. We would love to help you with that. I invite you to stand and sing, and if we can help you in any way, Paul Schwepp will be at the front to receive you. Thank you.